The Dial, a magazine for poetry, philosophy, and religion. Brought to you by the Culture and Anarchy Podcast. And so, with diligent hands and good intent, we set down our dial on the earth. We wish it may resemble that instrument and its celebrated happiness. That of measuring no hours but those of sunshine. Let it be one cheerful, rational voice amidst the din of mourners and polemics. The dial. Or to abide by our chosen image. Let it be such a dial, not as the dead face of a clock. Hardly even such as the gnomon in a garden. But rather, such a dial as is the garden itself. In whose leaves and flowers and fruits... The suddenly awakened sleeper is instantly apprised not what part of dead time, what state of life and growth is now arrived and arriving. Ralph Waldo Emerson, 1841. The Dial, Volume 2. The Woods of Arcady. This volume is preceded by an inscription from Transcendentalism, a poem in 12 books by Robert Browning. But by the time youth slips a stage or two, while reading prose and that tough book he wrote, collating and emendating the same, and settling on the sense most to our mind. We shut the clasps and find life's summer past. Then, who helps more, pray, to repair our loss? Another boem with a tougher book? And subtler meanings of what roses say? Or some stout mage like him of Halberstadt, John, who made things boem wrote thoughts about? He, with a, look you, vents a brace of rhymes. And in there breaks round us every side, nay, in and out, the tables and the chairs, and musty volumes, Boehm's book and all, buries us with a glory, young once more, pouring heaven into this shut house of life. Proem Corde Avesta Phrygian marble titans stand buttressed by stakes. Their strength of hand, once scourge of whimsy and newborn, hath turned beneath the winter's snow, from once begotten ire of myth to cracked, worn palms, misshapen cysts, teased into cold arthritic clamps. Phrygian marble titans bend oppressed by time's fatiguing pall. The bold-paid minstrel heeds no call, for time's eternity shall be mere echoes of all calls received. All fleeting things that wink and nod must wreck time's iron-hearted rod, which spurns the folly of the age, then beards the half-scrawled venal page 
when Valen to the scribe remits the everlasting malfeasance. Ephemeron or Epicure, fate brings the e-pact each to bear upon the men of sharpened wits, where faultless ignorance persists. Phrygian marble titans wear, stone boasts its year where sculptors fare, but who shall judge the primal stone whose uncouth casting Etna's forge knows not whereof? Who drags the deep and scours the tablets of the seas mid sunken wharves of scuttled wrecks whose cocksure, dauntless snith and pith hath earned their coffins off the main? Who shall adjudicate in vain and measure man beside the wind? In corporeal she yet maintains a store of strange superlative to vernal birds' transcendent verse. Her wings renew without fatigue, battered by winter's chaff, ere spring sets boreas to somnolence, and tropics raise the sisters six. Hinds know the darth of winter's freeze, when bitter barks frost-bitten leaves provide a beggar's sustenance. They bear that sting on hides tight-stretched, whipped by the southern martinet. As staunch Ben Nez, the winged guard, Vies with a flush of arctic drafts and lets a brace of zephyrs pass amidst his hyamola phrase. The limer's horn renews the chase and drives the stag to open fields where balmy winds await the yield. Phrygian marble titans turn upon themselves. Crushed Portland urns, reduced to dust, preserve the years. Chisels strike words no eye can hear, nor ear may read. And though forestalled, the granite epoch-spanning calls past sense through time and blind belief intrudes behind inscribed relief. So bones and breath suffuse the moss, and exhale wisdoms nearly lost to mark the passage from crass myth into accreted megaliths, when men erect more precise stones in favor of some truth postponed. With time, blind adoration fades, Mere logic rules the world by day. When witches broom each curve consumes, where vineyards proffer unripe fruits, ere blooms the truth. When open woods no more shall bear the titan's foot, then stone is whimsy's mortal foe, for light corrupts our mythic bones and blinds the eye. The shade reveals the form's true depth, where light conceals. The grave and stone are earthen bound. Mankind is sculpture in the round. And all shall heap to sculpt the tomb when matter's states are there subsumed. Phrygian marble titans die, but men have song to score the times. There lieth immortality. Ambrosia is the lotus leaf, the opiate of unlearned knaves. With poesy, man scribes the age to sober up the scholared wretch by Bacchus chained to drink's excess. What man hath burst the post of time, or stood his sentinel with calm, and with that celebrated zen of Rovere's bleached Pythian?
a fit of rhyme against the times. A celebrated professor's reflections upon late capitalism on the eve of the socialist millennium, dictated by Freddie Eagleson to his unpaid graduate assistant. By A. A. Learmont. I'm reminded this afternoon of Wordsworth's contemplation, which foresaw the unpoetic machinations of a train as a material revolution that our dependence upon it would presage. In the future he despaired, in which we live, sunbeams and skylarks little tempt the mind to dedicate to them even the simplest of lacrimal lines. In nature's stead there's condos, billboards, and medians lawned with pseudo-knolls. What is nature, if not some wax-leaf immortelle marooned on a gray suburban porch? In the wake of our most celebrated poesy, a sinister shadow grows within us all, and outward spreads as a sort of happenstance chalk line, blighted on a city walk. Surely old Hammer and Sickle Karl Marx couldn't have been all that bad. A leather-bound copy of Das Kapital's first volume rests on my shelf, half-read. Funny that a man so opposed to capitalism should bear to write so expansive a critique, which, nowadays, has such little life left to give. Billboards hawk for trinketaires and opiate the masses with a clever rhyme. Corporations hoist with their petards and raise a terrible stink, which we applaud. Rhyming perjuration abounds. Thus we must bear with the persistence of thrifty hacks. And as I sit, I contemplate. What kind of automobile best defines me as a man? I hear the ape within me answer. I am a sleek and sexy white sedan. Even the unthinkable, a pair of jeans, coughs up a rhyme more recognized than Yeats. Good poets become scarcer, and the many that still proclaim the trade can little silence the uncouth voice within me, which insists, I am the preternatural ape. The word human is a post-Darwinian abstract. Ere the intrepid hand first wrought the intransigent rune upon a cavern wall, men were but apes with an upright spine, without poetry to bind them all. Thirty thousand years in thrift have passed since human culture descended upon the ape. Only two thousand years in Christ's decease has man revoked that name. Become not more than human but become the culprit of an ironical ruse. Become what before he had displaced by time. The ape in designer shoes. What artifice is there left for a critic to praise? We must soon face up to facts. It is only a matter of time before poetry falls flat on its face. Dead. So please, you precious artisans... Prepare for us a casket, and in it place our dearly departed poetry. 
whom I fear we've all outlasted. Freddie Eagleson, in the year 2018. Tragic, Mahler's Sixth, by Morgan A. Brown. Suppose, a hand that streaks the pain, and sweat that grimes a trail, which soils the hand that swipes. Suppose, the yellowed glass bequeaths a view, which lifts the hermit from his thoughtless pall. Suppose he peers down from the mount's shorn bluffs on all that upward slithers, creeps, and slides, but slips upon the crumbled stones that break. Supposing that some wan, senescent white now plods below, hard-worn, and treads the sword steadfast beneath the mountain Iris' shade, which stretches outward as soul's fist unfolds. Suppose, his visage painted by a rune the dust inscribes, this drifter's tussled hair which keeps its shape though breezes there alight, those knotted curls, once wispy and well-groomed, the salty sweat that stains his sodden shirt, 
or pants grown stiff from countless thoroughfares. Suppose that silence is not real, but feigned, and patient ears behold the journey's end. Suppose the hermit's voice descends to greet, his queries aim precise as though ordained and scripted by predestinating chance, which call Ulysses back from thoughts of doom. Suppose the burden suddenly dissolves and fortune frees the drifter from his bond. Supposing on the lawn whose shades recede to ebb and flow, whose fair complexion face is hid beneath the creases of its brow, or now illumes a brighter wistful curve, that glories in the noon, fivefold renewed. Suppose three shepherds hail him in his track, marvel at the winnowing fan he bears, and listen to his tales of watery gloom, each bulking at the thought of earth interred beneath the brine of some barbaric god. Suppose a misty clangor downward drifts, as if by chance it ever should arise. The cattle mowing on the green, the bell which rattles at each mastic mass consumed. Suppose that rattle never beats the air, and grazers never low upon the greens. Supposing that the hermit's hand still lies upon the armrest of a rocking chair and never wipes across the chilly glass. Suppose no voice shall ever rise to turn the darkened drifter for a backward glance. Suppose the sun retreats, and shadows lunge across the sward to chill the stranger's bones. Suppose that silence is not feigned, but real, and on he plods. Suppose he sits in dark and durst not contemplate the grimy glass. Suppose he never plants his clumsy oar. Suppose he never halts in his advance. Suppose there is no cause for this supposing, nor knowledge of a simple passing there, and we, so elegant and unaware.
Living Classicism by Troy Camplin. I traveled once to Greece, the ancient land of tragedy, philosophy, the gods, and there beside the plane tree I would stand, escape Apollo's heat, take Plato's nods. In Athens, in the paths of Socrates I walked. Agora in the marketplace, today where women sell their wares. I'd seize the very air, the ancient time and space. In Naxos, where Apollo's gate still stands, where Zeus hid Dionysus in a cave, I ate in mountaintop cafes. My hands felt marble mountains. <laughs> Naxos, I still crave. In Delphi, where the oracles would speak Apollo's prophecies and vents now sealed, I stood within the theater to peek at what great Dionysus once revealed. In Thassos, where the ancient Greeks had sailed from Naxos, Dionysus first set shoot. A dining archaeologist regaled me with the findings of his ancient root. I lived in Greece a month, and there I found an understanding of the things I'd read. And having traveled, I have found the ground that grows the sweet figs that keep me well fed.
Padre Canyon Pilgrimage by Jack Perry. Onyx, striped and smooth. A testament to the jackrabbits I've seen, silhouetted on the horizon clear as day, offered up as meals to winter poverty, and I, the hunter, all too good at this, shed tears at the meat I desire. Inexplicable sins, on the altar of a table groaning under the weight of salt, a king's ransom all its own. How salt we this bread we eat, with the sweat of our brow. And I trudge, trudge, trudge towards the open maw of the canyon, where I know wild grapes grow, and the cougar I once hunted hunts me in return, a silent stalk. Yet we are one, the lion and I, hunter and hunted in a mysterious dance. Lonely canyon spirits whisper songs for, and a still pool of old rainwater slakes the thirst of many elk. Their kindred's muscles are my own, hefting this weapon speaking fire. And when it snows, I polish arrows. The hiss of an arrow is just the same as the hiss of a heavy snowfall. I know this thing well, and the cougar knows it in silence. For that is the sound of ebb tide, as the eye loses light and spark like a candle sputtering out. This is how the living become meat. But no one wishes to hear this truth, for it is much too true for them. I, the hunter, all too good at this. What skill and what knowledge offers itself upon the gnawing hunger, molding the hunter in an image of nature, molding the hunter in an image of lion. And anyone could pull a trigger, or release an arrow swiftly, which cannot be called back. But few can offer themselves upon the sacrificial altar of realization, saying to themselves, solemnly, I have just taken a life. And what right had I to do so? But to eat, and this flesh become me, how then am I not the lion? I have seen the tracks of the cougar, and from afar, it said unto me, Just as the arrow cannot be called back, neither can a footstep, a dream, a setting sun, or a spirit. So what will you do, O hunter? Faced with these facts, where will you walk now, O pilgrim of this canyon, and what has it to teach? Fay King Meneo, A Cheyenne Romance, by Morgan A. Brown. Part 1 On hanging roads, by which the stars guide the pulsing, far-flung heart, 
wanderlusting dreams to take to heel, and onward dart. To an Eden far removed, fly the freedom-yearning youth, towards the legends told of old, where older legends grew. Mid the sparkling amethyst, couch twixt the black hill's breast, the shaggy rhyme-capped peaks crowd heaven's shovel glass. There, a maiden glazed her curves, unaware that nearby lurked a miscreant beneath the spring, admiring her. With a ram's horn crown he claimed his dread kingship of the main, but his beauty was the blight of sacred love's bright fane. A thousand wives Maneo wed, now enthroned in leafy beds, with their puckered lips, pale violet cheeks, and bloated flesh. Often wondered why, this king, that his pale brides never sing, nor enfold him in the passive arms that skyward fling. Waltzing slow beneath the lake, he surveys a doomed estate, where the sightless eyes of barren queens gaze full on fate. Silent horror gloams and spreads from this harem of the dead, till the fey king spies the maid above from heaven sent. She beholds her sparkling eyes in the mirror of the skies, not knowing that below the calm the horror lies. Just beneath the charmed upside swarms the fey king's raptured eye, and upward floats a satin hand to brush her thigh. Well he knows from loves of old in the wives' capen below that beauty from above, once chained, turns hard and cold. Late the maiden's sweet embrace and her lithely sweeping gait to soon become wistful remembrances of grace. Part 2 In that golden age before sleek Pisces came to fore, the Fay King stalked the nightly rounds in heaven's court. Kept by kinship to the sun on the ladder's highest rung, he swelled the brine when tourists sprang in summer floods. Wrapped at dusk when slow the lord westered from the distant shore, he stretched the empty welkins black ere crimson mourned. Every night distilled those paints and dissolved the crimson strains, then scraped the canvas raw to prime successive days. Ever mired in blue-black night, he absconded from the light and marveled at the glowing frills beyond his sight. Merging mischief's pricked desire, plots to pinch a Tavov's fire, and light the welkins black in lieu of their bright sire. Soon approached the sacred rite when the sun and moon would light in nuptial bed and consummate in common sight. 
Maneo swiped the trusted keys to the sacred fane's retreat and rushed across forbidden floors by madness seized. Four and twenty lamps of power, each appointed for its hour, burst into blaze, exploding through high heaven's bower. Flailing gods, besmeared in flame, shunned the blistering heat of day and whirled the nether poles to find surcease of pain. Driving madly through the seas, blue sky buckled to its knees, blasting an earth molested by infinities. When to order came the court, just revenge declared its sport. Maneo knelt before the bench of last resorts. Begging leniency and ruth, he now blubbered out the truth, that haunting beauty was his fix, his fatal proof. That he'd meant to court the skies and to claim them as his brides, if even for an hour, and sit in God's assize. But the Fay King overreached and betrayed the day sun's seat. The Mayun cast him from their bluffs down through the seas. Seared and scarred by grimbling froth in the ocean's fulsome broth, Maneo suffered for his pride beneath the cross. Part 3 Threading through the southern stars over the flitting Incan cars, our dreamsters feel their heels alight as from afar. Skimming o'er the salty tides by the coastal mountainsides, they shoot through gilded riverbeds and pseudo-skies. Golden veins prick swollen hearts, just amuse what pranksters arts dare mimic heaven's ordinance as counterparts. Each stream a vain, unfruitful glimpse, which affects magnificence, yet scatters specious glory at the lightest wind. There Maneo bides his days in his watery domains, to watch as every morn and eve burns out its blaze. Yet, he vainly dreams he stands o'er the blue sky once again to steer the sun and romps across the riverbeds. A pair of scalds but steadfast hands swipes across the sunset strands as if the Welkins still obeyed their black commands. He abides within a dream where the water spiders teem and waltz on through Orion's belt with Hyades. As he floats o'er heaven's dome where the seven sisters roam, an earth-bound goddess ripples through his own abode and he feels love fill his lungs with a ballad long unsung and he knows he must unseat the stars to claim her love. How she walks upon a cloud 
where the brightest stars surround, in ring around her fingertips, in light rebounds. Part 4 Oft the heart enchains the eye, the beholders think them wise, and emotions trump sagacious urgings of the mind. Thus Meneo's I thee wed, pulsing through the glassy depths, intentioned fantasies with empty promises. Blind to all but her own sight, in the silence of the night, the glassy maiden swathes her breasts to his delight. Black hair tumbles from her head as he fingers through the threads. The rippling lake throws back its hood of grinning dread. Startled by the red-eyed fiend, grinning madly from the stream, the panic-stricken maid fights back her wooer king. In a rapture of delight, he fasts an ankle tight and tugs upon the weeds wound round his would-be wife. The demon keeps his desperate grip, and he knows she'll soon let in, for she sprints upon that sandy bank where all have slipped. Love's a tug-o'-war, he cries, and the victor claims the prize, whilst the others pulled through muck and filth and vainly tries to regain a foothold sure just to keep the heart secure. But in the end, one heart shall beat, but one endure. As he snares love's firebrand, chaos slips Meneo's hand, and heaven panics madly o'er the sunken sand. In the chaos of the waves, distant planets lose their way, where time and space no longer hold eternal reign. Minnows, sheltered by the dark, chase the tales of fountain sparks, as comets bound over the banks new ripple marks. Part 5 O'er the gloaming's moonlit dews stalked a silent, tribeless youth, hard upon a hind that led him through her ruse. The nimble hind with divine ken, on its weaving course did wend to guide unto Meneo's lair sweet medicine. There, beside the sapphire lake, where the fey king's desperate rape unfolded full beneath the moon, she foiled the chase. Soon, the maiden felt two hands pull her hard back towards the land, whilst fey Meneo strained against the heartless man. Joined by fate, the squaw and brave, eyes perfervidly agaze, hove themselves upon the shore as one embraced. 
flitting dragonflies surround, the broken water's light rebounds, as the forest takes upon itself its rustic sounds. Thundering cacophony from the heaven's timpani prepares the underscore before the skies unleash. Glassy prisms of the gods drench the parch and sun-scorched sod, and fill with sorrow every lowly leafing pod. Part 6 The dreadful ram-horned fiend fumed his last strong puff of steam, knowing he'd lost a vision snatched out of his dreams. Her tanned and slender thighs swish away in nimble strides and leave the Fey King's breast afire with heavy sighs. Fey Maneo knows quite well that his prison's watery realm divides a paradise from some dark, distant hell. There's yet a place from him removed, vaulted o'er the misty wood, which cast around the lonely lake its velvet hood. As the raindrops blear the scene of the sacred night serene, Maneo's hand sweeps clear across eternity. There, the amber eyelash trees hang their heads and jointly weep, or a shattered glass reflecting blue sky's masonry. Part 7 Chilled by night's attendant cool wafting from the sapphire pool, sorrow pipes its romance through the autumn wood. Soughing gently to the breeze, first to aft, then towards the lee, the forest oarsmen sway their rustic symphony. Tracing lines on liquid glass, Femineo's driven mad, whilst the silence of a doomed estate forever spans. Femineo dreams to know who's above and who's below. And if there anywhere abides a soul that knows. Let's Be Honest Here by John Gow What common man enslaved by foreign war has not paid spoils to knights in shining armor? Or had his daughters each take turns to whore herself to heroes bellowing threats to harm her? What citizen's unvanquishable rights have not been vanquished by the law of his king? And seized on the order not of shining knights to whom he pimped, but of his own state's wing? What working man-mule wedded to the land has not paid spoils to these same knights of pride, 
who have called the spoils a tax which he must hand. And when he inquired our heroes why, they cried, To extend our war to brutes across the waters, to rape their daughters, for they rape your daughters. The Art of Life by Troy Camplin I splice the gene that codes luciferase into the great white peafowl chromosomes, and all I got was glowing legs below a resplendent spray of white. New gene tomes of biologic art are bound to grace museum zoos, and sooner than you know. Sweet Grass by Jack Perry I know that it is a sweet smell to the Creator, whose mercy is infinite, whose compassion is not conditional. Is there compassion for my plight, O Creator of all that is or ever will be? Yes, and I know this to be so, because I found a braid of sweet grass this very morning so unsettled. I have said, when you feel adrift, the Creator is never so closer. He hears the prayers in the heart, which one fears for words or cannot discover them, and in this silence the Creator Himself works, for out of this silence He brought forth creation.
Nature by Troy Camplin. When we see only surfaces, we miss the complex life below, which we deny. But in our dives below, we should not miss the patterned flocks that glisten in the sky. Messenger by Troy Camplin. Before you look at angels with delight, remember Lucifer is one named Light. Sherpa by Troy Camplin. Behold, the god I froze in fractal time. He now survives forever in my rhyme. Cilicians from the Book of Caesar, Part the First, by Morgan A. Brown. Despair! The corsairs cry. Ho, ship! Who's this thine craft? Why fly thou thus? is mocked the Roman sail with insolence, and a single figure, lone, dares to rebut. Thy master, knave, commands this helm! But Caesar hath no power in Sulla's realm. Trim the sails and lash the tiller straight! The corsair's bark elicits due command. Ha <laughs> ha! Julius, my liege, give up the chase! Thou shalt not ruse our vessel on that raft! <laughs> Twere better seasoned driftwood washed ashore than that poor wreck which thou sittest aboard! 
Isaac the Jew sweeps up the foredeck's perch behind the painted prow, his glaive in hand. He lustily awaits the closing berth to vault aboard the flamen's lazing craft. The winds soon tired and drooped the princely sails. Yolus sleeps, Caesar to small avail. The golden mast gleams brighter towards his bark, the purple sails full swollen with pompous air. Cornelius insults brave Caesar. Hark! Hail Caesar! Men, protect the Rome's young heir! With scent of saffron, overbearing breath, the beaked cruiser closes in with stealth. Arms a-glitter, Caesar's craft prepares. Cornelius awaits the lictor's cries. The Caesar's passions, by no shame impaired, retire behind an artifice of pride. No blood by Jove, Caesar humbly subdued. Surrender now, shame later disabuse. Is this the merriest threefold reviled? Cornelius rings round in hooping dance. The Sabine sheltered, Sulla scorned exile? I trip thou wert a greater style of man. Here thou rule o'er three cowards and a slave. How dreamest thou to escape Sulla's domain? The Caesar stands stock still, unmoved at heart. Takes insult as a compliment in veil. Lash Caesar to the mast. Dispatch two guards to gather ransom for this worthless bale. What of the slave? Demands a scarred corsair. Bind him forthwith. One praetor take for tears. Two hounds of ransom jet through dwindling day. Knowst thou whom thou dost wind in coils of hemp? An insect's lictor questions in dismay. My liege! The corsair cries with reverence. He smites his thighs and shuffles to his knees, scraping with shows of feigned humility. The lictor's taken by the corsair's wit. Forgives where e'er he swore he would avenge. My lord! The corsair whispers with a lisp. Twere but a game. Pray, let us make amends. He leads the lictor towards the silver oars and drapes him in a tawdry purple robe. My liege, by Sola paid, we sought thy lord, but little thought how best to host a priest. The flamen's name alone begs better board. Pray, let us restore order to these seas. A proper robe as triarch of my rogues, and on thy rough-shod feet these Roman brogues. The lictor dons the rope, a cunning tease. Now, please, detain no more, be on thy way. The corsair offers up the open seas. The lictor fights, yet cast into the waves, he founders, pulled beneath by sprawling robes. 
large bubbles surface aft as on they row. Three nights afloat, the captive Caesar bears abuse by gap-toothed indigents and thieves. His slave protests, invoking Jove's despair. Stand off, ye cowards! Grant him his release! Take thou my life to see Diala safe! No fairer master had a wretched slave. At night, the slave attends his master's wounds. Without despite, he shuns the corsair's jibes. Renounce this priest and join my footloose crew. Mithras well pays, more than this flamen's lies. The slave, nodding towards Caesar, bound in strife, denays. Without such grandeur, what is life? The hounds of ransom finally deploy, and gain the hemispheric line by day. What was the price that Sola thou employed? Two talents and a bowl the caitiff paid. At that alone did Caesar's humor blanch. We'll give thee five if Caesar thou dispatch. The beggar's purse is ransomed to the thieves, and Caesar to his safety is conveyed. The corsair would unfurl the mainmast sheets, but Caesar, how much for yon faithful slave? The corsair, saffron reeking, strokes his chin. A talent? Nay, quoth Caesar, yielding ten. Converging ships now part, sundered in twain. Caesar resumes a life of dodge and ruse, and still attends with faith the gentle slave awed by the grandeur of the Roman youth. Diallus, begs the slave to men of worth, ransom my life with twice what Jove's priest earned. Night lurks upon the ship and quiet reigns. Brave Caesar ponders o'er the guiltless stars. Lurking astern, ponders the faithful slave upon that interstellar Roman heart. The humble seed alone doth deign to raise the towering Cedrus crown above the range. An Ode to President Trump 
November 9th, 2016. By John Gow. Listen, my children. Your heartbeat will thump at the savagery untethered by President Trump, who pointed the rapist the path back to hell and cast with his toupee one ultimate spell on women to a thirst from being grabbed by a star unrelenting who puckered, who dabbed, who'll keep gold star goat humpers stuck in Iraq, who'll give Vietnam wusses a hard, solid thwack for losing. <laughs> They're losers for having been caught then drinking and drinking on board their own yacht to make sure they're plastered before saying a speech that every three minutes the fact-checkers breach as drug dealers breach past the Mexican wall that's absent but ought to be 50 feet tall and 50 feet burgeoning down underground to lock up that Hillary, spat on, uncrowned, unloved, and she knows it from leaving this pit where Adam Smith's common sense buckles unwrit. And statements and promises bluster like fads worth less than those Trump University pads. A jail called America, greatened by Trump. Twelve articles missing and found in the dump. Archery Season by Jack Perry The last hunter who crept through these woods never saw the buck on his back trail. You never do in your ever-forward quest, your vision so keen, so sharp. Every barbule and every fletching becomes brilliant. You smell every stone in its splendor as they squat in contemplation of predators. But each hunter, worth his salt, knows the deepest mystery of all. The earth drinks blood. But this is not a terrible thing to be feared. This is a sacred act you approach with reverence. Head bowed, weapon grounded. It is never changing, never born, never dying, Never coming, never going, never static. There is no fear, for there is nothing to be feared. Nor is there an end of moon-determined rituals. An endless cycle of forms changing forms. This buck becomes me one day. I become the earth, carried in her womb, born in endless lifetimes. A hunter.
Aquae et Ignis Interdictio. From the Book of Caesar, Part the Second, by Morgan A. Brown. The Mulberry King, the decaying blossoms white, the dwarf sprung trunk, the leafing crown, the barrel eyes, the wanton passions, the manly loves, the rain, the waving fist blood-stained. Blast Caesar! Bring that braggart to his knees! Swear fealty, cheat, lie, propitiate! If needs be blaspheme, cursed libation pours by the spurs of Taurus, wage salicious whores! Hunt Jove's priests across the teeming main, and let no knight twice set o'er his bare head the stars resplendent, ere he take to wing whilst vengeance nips his tattered woolen cloak. Heels shall kennel his vacant bed. Above disheveled hair, no stately point shall rest, and all the weight of nothing shall preside upon the curul chair. Be gone, ye fiends. Bring me Dialis. Fate reward ye well. I'll drag the cur in bonds up to the roof, and to the streets commit his mangled course. See if the god shall weep to bleed away his stain on Rome. Fetch me the sacred knave! The mulberry tyrant, the splotched and milky hue, the crimson cheeks, the bulging barrel eyes, the ransom rewards for a Caesar chained. Cicero coursed for his death, and Cato resolved. Dialis, with Nicomedes and his slave, subdued his outrage, and Cicero absolved. In the deep of night, to Bithynia he sailed. In the deep of night, by pirates was assailed. The sailors bound the Caesar thick in chain. Again despaired the faithful slave. Again was tethered to the golden mast by the silver oars, by the violet sails. Again the insolence. Again bombast. Name Amnesia by Troy Camplin. The names, they come and go. We label men and women well before we know them. Known, the name forgotten. I would need a pen to pin it down on paper scraps, then thrown down to the ground, up to the wind they're strewn. Perhaps as scrap will soon return. But when? 
my name Amnesia has only ever grown. I recognize you. I don't know where it's been. Sea turtle names are easy. Names of sharks and orchids spring to mind with awesome ease. I'll tell you who or what I've read and show my knowledge. Meaning, memory, embarks on nothing but well-traveled trails. But please, don't ask me for your name. I do not know. Bloodbird From the Book of Caesar Part the Third by Morgan A. Brown Up slick mud hills have I pursued myself, not knowing where my feet have landed me, nor cared to know the destination I've pursued. Crows croak and soldiers grouse, the hillocks stretch as I descend upon the arms that scattered lie. Each foot advancing thereupon retreats, and every arm that glitters in the sun, all mine. The foeman's spear on every side rebuffed is me. My foot, my arm, myself unseats. For I myself am scavenged 
in abandoned lines. Against the dead we heap in reeking piles, I weigh no thought, nor shall I mourn my death. But then, whilst tearing scraps of armor from stiff limbs, I'll vest myself from death's crude market share, till I, new forged and brazen, harborgen arise. Outside myself, another self looks on. Six regiments the Caesar plunged through Gaul, and six bright eagles rising o'er each bristling line to thrust the courage out of every man. Still I see specters only, each an observed eye. It is the Caesar's promise that the arm which lays most hacks shall earn it bright reward. Sinew explodes to left and right. A ruptured breast unbars a punctured heart, still charge the foes, and I shall feast on Gaul's invincible front lines. A hack I've laid, two hacks, more hacks, I've slain. My Caesar I imagine looking on. Shall he applaud my contributions to the stream that splashed the entrails round advancing feet? Shall I dare hope to lead pansophic Caesar's eye? And I observed swears that it is aloof, for it caresses other forms unseen. But when the Caesar scopes the field's frightful affrays, I am too occupied to be dismayed. Thus I wing fast ahead to commandeer his eye. And when the bearded youth calls for his kin, I hear myself beside him. <laughs> That's my voice. Above, upon a hill now seeming far remote, Ariovistus flies. He's lost the field. And I descend on youths who scream but fear to die. And when the youth no longer cries nor breathes, I land myself beside him, breathing hard. I swear, we could be brothers, countrymen, and kin. But for the fact he here forgotten lies, not I. And who shall mark this nameless field in time? The naked Swaby bravely fight and die. Their general effects his last retreat. Soon shouts storm over a copse bedewed with flesh and gore, as from the dead I extricate myself, and I pursue more gleaming specters in my eye. I see his feet across the hillock spring, each padding footfall harder than the first, each breath commands a greater fill, but less it sates. I'm sinking. He is sinking. We're both drowned. And I skim o'er the banks adorned with forfeit lives. Full-armored Germans drive into the Rhine, or scramble naked through the shallow banks. Not far, not far. And those beyond my reach in time scramble not wide across, but sink or float. Soon I am wading through a spectral stream, red-dyed. And I have wretched, 
swishing through shallows drear, swirling posca with thighs and carnadine. And I have hurled my stomach to the rancid seas, as children might cast stones to trump their peers. So I unbar myself and thresh through my insides. The foeman Ariovistus hath escaped, but Caesar is not overly concerned. We've caged two of his wives. They'll pay their husband's debt, with two more daughters to dole out what's lacked. Ere I observe the specters fusing in my eyes. By turns we pay the foeman's horrid debt, by turns we thrust, by turns we peck at spoils. Each peck is one more hack, one ghastly hack to boast, and one more insult to the vanquished host. And I think madly as I feast, avoid her eyes. From tangled limbs thrown wildly o'er the lawn, I rise, still blindly clutching for myself. Where are my piecemeal armaments? And where shall I go now to nest? I'm wearied. I am tired. Then I espy myself in Caesar's roving eye. The feast consumed, the battlefield is cleared. For Caesar hath dispatched his watchful guard. I swore. I saw a mindful glance that shot my way, and winked in an approving sort of way. There I saw my own gaze reflected in his eye. In search of what have I pursued myself? I know not where my feet have landed me. And yet, am I the destination I've pursued? When night draws low, I dream I find myself. But I awake to specters every dawn, wide-eyed.
poets are the hero fans of unapprehended inspiration. The mirrors of gigantic shadows which futurity cast upon the present. The words which express what they understand not. The trumpets which sing the battle and feel not what they inspire. The die. The influence which has moved not but moves. Poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. The Dial, a magazine for poetry, philosophy, and religion. This edition of The Dial features music by the following artists. A full track listing can be found in the show notes below. Track number one, Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, the first movement, played by Papa Lin, courtesy of museopen.org. Track number two, Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 5 in D Major, played by the Advent Chamber Orchestra, courtesy of museopen.org. Track number three, Traveling to Louisiana, played by Lobo Loco, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number four, Ulysses by Dan Friel, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number five, Readers, Do You Read? by Chris Zabriskie, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Rebecca Coud by Sam Shalabi, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The poem Fay King Maneo features music from the following track by Kai Engel, courtesy of Free Music Archive. Moonlight Reprise, Moments of Our Morning, A Remedy for Melancholy, Brooks, Sunset, and Low Horizon, also featuring the song Bronco Bob and His Little Cheyenne by Ada Jones and Len Spencer. Track number eight, Sally in the Garden Sifting Sand by the Black Twig Pickers and Steve Gunn, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number nine, Lover's Hollow by the Blue Dot Sessions, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number 10, Roses by Lee Mattiford, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number 11, Thread of Clouds by the Blue Dot Sessions, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number 12, Mav Lost, Voltava by Bedrus Smetana, courtesy of Museopen.org. Soldiers Farewell Fanfare, Montezuma, and the March of Windsor Park by the U.S. Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number 14, Hollow Fox Archery by Bipolaroid, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number 15, Symphony number no. 7, Beethoven, Arrangement for Piano by Franz Liszt, the Allegretto Movement played by Lambus Vesaliadis, courtesy of Museopen.org. Track number 16, Dream. The Instrumental, by Chan Y. Fat, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Track number 17, featuring The Crow, by Chaos, courtesy of the Free Music Archive, as well as Selections from Norwegian Folk Songs and Dances, by Edvard Grieg, played by Pavelin, courtesy of Museopen.org.